You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and it's another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. If you want to consider that it's now January um, in, in Oregon, and uh, this is the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And uh, like I said, it's it's January here because you know we're starting to hit these days where. Yesterday it was in the mid 80s, and today it's like barely breaking 60 degrees and uh, cloudy and kind of breezy and cool. And it's just like two different days. And, and on Sunday it was raining cats and dogs, um, just like it was October or something like that. Um, just strange weather uh, pattern here for about the last three or four days here uh, for uh, the first week of June. Uh, yeah, really. Uh, not atypical though, because I, you know, in Oregon it rains all the way up through the Fourth of July, and then 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 we get into the real dry season. In the last several years, we've actually hit the dry season early, so we've kind of been spoiled that by now uh, we aren't getting rain, and it actually was uh, misting a little bit on my way home from Eugene and my uh, board of commissioners meeting today. Well, today I'm really hoping that we have a free for all day because. My schedule's been crazy, and I got to do no show prep for this show today, so I am winging it. So I'm hoping that you'll call at 646-721-9887. Press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and you can take control of whatever topics we talk about here on the Bose Nose Show because this is really your program and for your chance to talk to uh, an elected official one-on-one over the over the uh, radio and the glories of the internet and have a conversation about whatever topic you want to talk about. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Lane County topic. It can be a state topic. It can be a national topic. It can be international. We can talk about, you know, the, the, the Kim, and and uh, and Donald show uh, and and whether or not there was anything meaningful that came out of that, yeah, you know, we can get to the global level at that that level, or we can get right down to very local stuff about what's happening in your neighborhood. Just give us a call here at the Bose No Show six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven, and we'll talk about what you want to talk about. If not, we'll talk about some of the crazy stuff I've been doing that's kept me from doing show prep. Because it's been one of those weeks where I've been leaving the house at who knows what time in the morning and getting back after five o'clock because I've had all day meetings and it's just been really crazy. Spent all day Monday in Salem 
from eight o'clock to till basically four o'clock um, at the Association of Oregon Counties talking about legislative priorities and, and various things up there and what things might be coming up in the next session in Salem and trying to, to as the association prepare for the next legislative session. So kind of started thinking about that. And, and you know, one of the things they talked about was the possibility of this, not, not so much a possibility, but the likelihood that there's definitely going to be some kind of legislation around uh, cap and trade or cap and invest or whatever you want to call about it, some carbon taxing legislation uh, in the 19th session and just trying to stay involved in that process so that we don't get beat over the head too badly as local governments and whatever they choose to pass and trying to shape that to be the least damaging legislation possible um, to uh, you know some other stuff that may come up in the legislature around marijuana or opioids and you name the topic we were talking about it on Monday um, so that was kind of my Monday was kind of focused on on uh, Salem and the state government. Tuesday was board meeting all day long, including having our quarterly financial report, which also included a semi-annual appearance of Brian Rooney, who is the local uh, regional economist for the state of Oregon, uh, talking about you know what's coming up with the economy and all that. Some interesting things going on there we might talk about with in a few minutes to this morning, I was attending a meeting that is the uh, start, the kind of the kickoff of our, um, every three years we have to update our community health improvement plan. And it starts out with a community health needs assessment. And today was the initial um, start of that process in some ways where we were identifying forces of change that might uh, impact um, you know, public health and, and um, community health here in Lane County. Uh, and that was kind of a almost like a brainstorming session. So kind of interesting to think about, you know, what are the things kind of outside the control of us locally here that might impact uh, providing health care and access to health care and all those things here in Lane County. So that was kind of more, my morning was spent thinking of that. And then my afternoon was spent talking about uh, compensation and unions uh, as we were looking at our midterm market adjustments we agreed to look at when we settled our strike with the ASME general and nurses units uh, last fall uh, and we're looking at those that data today uh, as we look to whether we're going to adopt what was recommended by the three-person panel that was called for in our memorandum of understanding so kind of looking at various job classifications and market data and you know how much of a uh, change in, in those job classifications uh, grade changes as they call them which are equal to about two and a half percent per grade change um, all that good stuff and, and and you know our ability to pay for those changes and whether or not we've got recruitment and retention issues there so you kind of all over the board this week um, and I didn't even get into everything that was on our agenda on Tuesday, just that one piece around um, the economy and, and talking about how that impacts our budget and various other programs. You know, we talked about several other things on, on Tuesday uh, from uh, 
you know, the extension service to uh, our public safety coordinating council in the morning. So, you know, typical of being a commissioner, uh, just all over the place, but constantly in meetings this week. So, of course, getting way behind on voicemails and email responses and, and keeping up on Facebook. So I'm, I feel like I'm almost doing the radio show today blind because I just feel like I've been out of touch because I've spent so much time in meetings over the last three days. When you're in a meeting, you kind of feel like you're out of touch with the world in some ways because I do try and turn off the electronics and pay attention to what's going on in the meetings. So um, it's really, you know, uh, kind of off-putting sometimes to, to spend three solid days in a row almost entirely immersed in meetings um, kind of makes you feel like, you know, you you lost track of the news sometime the week before. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of kind of one of those those weeks here on the Bo's News Show. It's why I'm, I'm hoping folks will call in and participate. And maybe you can tell me what was going on this week. <laughs> Seeing I've been in meetings all week and, you know, and, and after I get off the air today, I've got to hurry up and get the poodles fed and run out the door because I've got another event starting at six o'clock called the Feast on the Farm. The Lane families for farms and forests are putting on tonight. So it's kind of like I'm on the run again out to another event. So I'll get even less chance to keep caught up. So uh, crazy, crazy week. And that doesn't even get back to, you know, what was going on last week uh, leading into this week uh, and, and some, some of those things. So, Lots to lots we can talk about, lots that's going on. One of the things about spending the day in Salem made me really think about the upcoming governor's race and how impactful that may be in what happens in the legislature next year. And in fact, even in our forces of change meeting this morning was the possibility of having another medical professional as our governor or a doctor, a licensed physician as our governor. You know, we, you know, we had Dr. John not too long ago, and there's a chance we may have Dr. Newt. And as, as happened while uh, Governor Kittopper was in office, there was a lot of focus on public health systems and reforms to our um, you know, Medicaid system you know, a whole bunch of focus on that from the governor's office and a lot of legislation that went on. And it kind of seems that as we, as, as he left office, there hasn't been quite as much change in the systems uh, that hasn't been steered from the federal side. But here we are looking at the possibility of another doctor governor. And, and is that going to actually create a lot of change in our, uh, coordinated care organizations that were formed under Dr. Kitzhopper, uh, if we have a Dr. Bueller uh, in place, uh, you know, and all those various uh, variables that might come to, to play. But just, you know, thinking about how big a difference this governor's election is going to make next fall. And, and as I look at legislation as, as cap and trade and carbon taxes, you know, a difference between a Governor Brown and a Governor Bueller on that subject may be fairly significant. And, and you know, there may be much more of a moderating influence to have 
uh, you know, one party in control of the legislature, which is most likely right now. It's, I don't think there's going to be a change in, in the uh, Democrat control of the House and Senate. But if there's actually another party in the governor's office, will that provide some moderation in some of the legislation that's been going through where there actually has to be some kind of uh, negotiation to where, or you're going to have to have enough of a super majority that you can get past the governor's veto. Um, that's going to be an interesting uh, change if that actually happens, if there is a Governor Bueller. Uh, if, if it's Governor Brown, it's really not going to change a lot, so we're going to continue on with where we were in the last couple sessions where the, the one-party rule holds sway, and the only moderating influence some, somewhat is in the uh, state Senate, where some of the more conservative Democrats will actually um, occasionally vote with the Republican caucus to moderate some of the um, uh, legislation that comes out of, of the legislature, uh, such as Senator Betsy Johnson, um, who will cross party lines often on some issues. Um, you know, that depending on the issue, there's different senators that seem to cross over um, that, that provide some of that moderating influence uh, from what comes out of the House sometimes. But it's going to be interesting, um, as I look at it, in county government, how that's going to impact us, because there was an effort at one point to force through some kind of cap and invest legislation in the short session last year, and there had been no analysis done of how it was going to financially impact local governments and whether or not it's going to place unfunded mandates on local governments. So I'm hoping at least through the influence of AOC as we get involved early on in the process of forming that, that legislation that we can at least really make it known that, they're, that they shouldn't get into hearings without that analysis. You trying to jump in there, Robin? Or is that, is that just what? a feedback? Probably just feedback. Okay. I thought thought for a second you had had a had a, an opinion on on uh, carbon taxes and and upcoming legislation, but so no, but what I was going to say though is, uh, and this goes back to like a movie of my cousin Vinny. What's a newt? <laughs> What's a newt? Okay. Yeah, a canut. Um, <laughs> a canoe. Um, yeah, what's the new? Yeah, uh, yes. When you put those city boys in the country, uh, my cousin Vinny, a most under uh, underrated movie. <laughs> yeah, where you got to see a lot of uh, actors play characters that were completely away from what you um, know them as, like uh, Herman Munster as the judge. <laughs> In, in that that movie oh yeah and a little pop culture here on the bose nose show if you don't want to talk about pop culture you'd rather talk about lane county you can give us a call 646-721-9887 you know, take control of the show else we might start talking about the monsters here in a minute versus the adams family which one did you like better Oh, I like them both, but you can bet you they would not fly today. Yeah, they're kind of uh, uh, 
uh, not politically correct in several ways, I'm sure, but I, 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 I actually like the Adams family better than the Munsters. <laughs> the Munsters was too uh, um, uh, kind of pavlum, sort of a toned down version of the Adams family. <laughs> well, that's true, but I'm just I was chuckling at all the politically correct things that that they that would go wrong if the show tried to launch like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> starting with uh, with Thing and Cousin Nit and all the others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it would be definitely uh, some very strange things. Uh, but you know, they were really you know, when you think about it in some ways, um, some of the characters you know, the, the characters in that um, were very stereotype busting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, Wendy was not your typical little girl. No. Yeah. And and uh, Morticia was definitely a strong woman. <laughs> yeah. She, she wasn't, she wasn't the typical housewife that was being portrayed on television at the time. Yeah, including Grandpa and Fester. In fact, they they took away. Um, they came up with a. You remember Cousin Fester, our Uncle Fester? He'd uh, you know light a light bulb in his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, like that, yeah. Yeah, they actually came out with a toy that did that, but I think they took that off the market really quick because some people started doing it with real light bulbs. Yeah. Well, the toy, the trick was you had a piece of foil in your mouth that you had to close the contacts with. Uh-huh. So so I think that's also one of the reasons was you had to have this piece of foil in your mouth. <laughs> oh, God. Let that touch your feelings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My One of my cousins had one of those light bulbs. I mean, he yeah. was just absolutely enamored with the Adams family when he was a kid. Weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I mean, this is getting a little off topic. But back then, you got to admit that TV shows were entertaining because that's all they were designed to do. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah, there wasn't, you know, a lot other than it was meant to entertain. And, and um, although there were shows that were meant to sell, you yeah, know, early on, you know, some of the some of the early uh, kids programming was really around selling um, toys and products. O- Ovaltine to, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you, you got to admit that though, as, when you come home from a, a tough day's work and you turn on uh, one of the major TV shows and you watch your favorite show and you're listening to Ernest Borgnine yell at Jan Michael Vincent not to blow up something, it's kind of satisfying, even though you know it's all fake, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, yeah, I remember Mikhail's Navy. Talk about another politically incorrect program. I can just, you know, <laughs> some of the some of the characters that were done at that time, and, and, and when they would go in disguise, quote disguise. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you uh, yeah. go. When Jay says he'll talk about anything, he'll talk about anything. Yes, I will. Yes, just just proves you can really take me off topic if you call into the show uh, here six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven on the Bose Nose Show. Just press one, and that lets you take the conversation wherever you want to go. Otherwise, we might get back to some of the other things that were going on 
like I hadn't quite gotten back to uh, Brian Rooney uh, from the, the state economist's office, the, the regional economist here, and some of the things he had to say yesterday. And you know, I'm usually pretty upbeat on the Bo's Nose Show, but I'm going to kind of get a little depressing here for a while because one of the things we talked about quite a bit was there's actually been a trend of, you know, we had a really robust job growth in 17, but the job growth has actually slowed down um, and, is, and is leveling off. They were looking at, you know, 3.5% rates of job growth. It's down about 2% now, and they're actually projecting that to continue to taper down for a number of reasons, one of which is we're at such high employment levels now that it's difficult to fill vacancies. It's not so much that there aren't jobs opening up, there's just not workforce to take them. So the, uh, the actual number of people employed is not growing as fast because the lack of people available to employ, if that makes some sense. The other part of it is we're kind of reaching a plateau in the, in the recovery. And, that there's, and there's consensus, as he put it, amongst economists that we're probably looking at our next um, market adjustment, uh, business cycle downturn slash recession in the, in the 2020 range, somewhere about two years out. Um, so uh, as you're planning, you know, your, your major purchases and stuff like that, and, and you want to consider hedging your bets at all and your risk um, planning and all that, you may want to think about the fact that, you know, the economy we have today may actually um, in about two years be not in a growth cycle, that we may actually be in a, in a um, negative um, uh, cycle at that point as we, you know, things adjust in our economy um, relative to, uh, you know, supply and demand and workforce and everything else has to readjust itself before we get into the next growth cycle. Um, that happens naturally in, in most economies. The question is, you know, how deep and how long? It's always a good question. We don't know. Uh, he did note, and it, I kind of wish we had had him in next month because he said that the actual 10-year um, forecast that the state puts out uh, every other year is due out at the end of June. <laughs> so we will get, we will be seeing a much more detailed forecast from the state. In a couple of weeks here, and uh, be interesting to see what that shows relative to um, the state's economy's uh, forecast. But you know, that he said a caveat in that is any sort of shock to the economy that could actually put us in recession sooner. And he mentioned some things like trade wars and uh, natural disasters, like the Cascadia subduction zone uh, earthquake event. Um, you know, any sort of um, you know, uh, military conflicts, et cetera, that might, uh, you know, uh, some sort of terrorist event or whatever that might drive the economy faster into that recession. But, he's, you know, they're pretty sure that they're all kind of seeing the sign that we'll, we'll be in the downside of the business cycle in two years. Well, can I jump in there for, for a second? Sure, Robin. Uh, to kind of add to that, um, Kind of a, an experience I had when I used to own my own business, which was VCR repair and movie rentals. <laughs> One of the uh, and it, I was doing pretty good, 
But I ran into an issue when you talk about employment is back then you had to have a an a TV license with a VCR endorsement to repair a VCR. And that's all I specialized in was in VCRs. And that license was not an easy thing to get and not anybody could just uh, walk in and get one. And that made it very hard and limited my expansion because, I mean, I was doing 75 units a week, literally, but I couldn't get any help because of the regulations to even get let anybody uh, even touch one to stay legal. And yeah. and then finally, one of the governors, I, I think it was Kitzhammer or Kungoski, one of the two, they finally just got rid of it and said the marketplace will take care of it. If you're not doing a good job, you know, you're not going to stay in business. So, you know, over-regulation can kill a good economy. That's what, where I'm going with that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, one of the other, quote, shocks to the economy that could, could create that downturn is, you know, some change in government policy can also do that, whether it's... Um, you know, a new a new tax um, that that does that, or um, a sudden change in in um, in, in Fed rates, like a, a interest rate increase because of hyperinflation. You know, uh, some event that kicks off a hyperinflation event, where there's some crisis of in confidence in the U.S. dollar or something like that on the international market. So, you know. There's always those caveats out there. And one of the things that, that you know, as you talk to lawyers and economists, one of their favorite phrases is, it depends. It depends. Are they where it depends? Yeah. No, it depends. <laughs> it always depends on something, you know. And, and there's so many factors that could change the forecast, you know, as, or change their legal opinion on something, you know. Or, you know when you ask it, you know, do you think I can win this lawsuit to a lawyer? They're all going to say it depends, you know. You know, it, 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 it saying, you know, ask an economist to try and pin them down on a forecast, and they're going to start talking about, you know, well, as long as this, 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 and this don't happen, and, and this, this, and this, you know, occur, you know, and all these things it depends on, you know, it's a good forecast. You know? So, because one of the things about yeah, the economy is it's so interlinked to so many things and it's dynamic. And it's one of the things that bothers me a lot is when people talk about uh, tax policy in a static way where they don't talk about uh, the dynamics of tax policy. And, and they'll talk about a tax cut creating a uh, budget deficit without talking about the dynamics of the economy behind that and the growth of tax cut can spur that will actually increase tax revenues through the growth of the economy versus, you know, leaving those taxes in place and depressing the economy. It, without that, that dynamic relationship in the model, um, some of these static analysis of, of uh, legislation and all that really bother me, which I'm hoping we don't get a static analysis of future tax carbon tax cap and trade scheme that the legislature is looking at, that they do that in a dynamic modeling system so they can really see the impact on Oregon's economy if we pass that, uh, that system. Uh, you, know, it's, you know, there's a good question is, is there really the need to go into that kind of system seeing we've had some uh, legislation around the uh, electric utility industry, around the uh, vehicle fuel 
um, industry and all that that already is doing a lot to limit carbon output in the state. And also there's multiple other places where we attack um, carbon output through our land use laws, our transportation system laws. Um, so it's kind of like we have we already have a lot of programs in place that are, are attacking this issue. Do we need a whole new taxation and bureaucracy set up around that issue or can we wait and see how the other ones are actually succeeding first? Um, so but the, the, the interesting thing will be is, is you know, how that sort of um, change might um, accelerate or you know, localize some of those changes in the economy. Because one of the things you talk about is how much is based on the global and national economy and how much uh, difference there will be to the local economy. One of the things we've seen in Oregon is we are quick to go into recession, usually faster than the rest of the country. Our unemployment rates actually um, go higher. Our job losses are steeper and we take longer to recover. At right now, we're tracking pretty close to the national numbers as far as our unemployment rates and our uh, workforce participation rates. And, and uh, you know, now that we've, we've stabilized and we've caught up, um, but uh, we've, you know, we had a long ways to come back. You know, we had a, a pretty significant divergence. And then locally here in Lane County, we actually uh, lagged the state, you know, the, the, the lead in the state in the recovery was the Portland metro area and, and the North Valley and, and part of, you know, also maybe Hood River area of, of the gorge. Um, you know, those places recovered their jobs and much more quickly and actually grew jobs beyond, um, you know, before the recession, got back to pre-recession and above much quicker than the rest of the state. Um, Lane County lagged um, the state in that aspect. So you see Oregon lagged the country, you see Lane County lag Oregon. So you know, there are ways we can improve on that and make ourselves not lag so much with, 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 with uh, regulatory and tax reform in the state. And there are ways we can actually make that worse. And one of the ways possible of making that worse is a poorly thought out carbon taxing system that will actually um, make our um, local businesses um, that are participating in the traded sector nationally and internationally less competitive across the uh, global economy, which will make them, you know, go into recession easier and have more trouble getting out of recession. So was an interesting discussion, lots of questions about um, that whole workforce issue. As I talked about, one of the reasons we're starting to see the economy, at least the growth in the economy, slow down, uh, it's not that it's not growing anymore, it's just growing at a slower rate, is that workforce um, limitation on economic growth. And one of the things we had a lot of discussion about yesterday was the impact of the housing shortage on the ability to to bring employees from outside the area into the state and the county to meet those um, employee workforce shortages 
and how and that impact it's having on the economy and the housing shortage in general. And you know, there was a general consensus was that's one of the factors playing into that workforce issue uh, is that that housing shortage. One of the other factors is just an aging demographic of our population where folks are retiring out of the workforce. And that's actually, you know, that job needs to be replaced along with the growth jobs. Uh, so you're, you're, you're having to not only try and find new people for the new jobs, you're having to replace employees at the same time. So that's one of the issues on the workforce, the pressure that's being placed on the demand for workforce in this country is that aging demographic of our country uh, has an interesting interplay with that. Which kind of leads me to this morning's discussion about forces of change in, in our health system. One of the interesting things was, you know, they kind of first did this brainstorming thing where they had people write down a dozen things they thought were forces of change. You know, no edit, you know, don't edit yourself, just, you know, bullet points. What do you think are some of those forces that might impact our, our our community health system here in Lane County that are kind of outside of our control? That was sort of the direction. And then they had us pick five of those and write them on these big sticky uh, note things uh, in big lettering so people could read them. And they started collecting those. And they kind of had, you know, people do their highest priority or, or the one that they thought was most going to impact first and collected those up and they kind of ran through the, the thing. The one thing that kept coming up quite often and had the longest, you know, uh, as they grouped them, tried to group them together was housing. Consistently, you know, from the group of people there, I think I don't think there was there were enough of those in that column of sticky notes that there is probably one for every person in the room had identified housing as a, as a force of change and the housing shortage, you know, as it was described in many ways, uh, the housing crisis, the housing shortage, um, you know, the high cost of housing, housing burden, you know, you name how people described it. It was basically about shortage of housing and the high demand for housing and, and the resulting things from everything from homelessness to rent burdens and everything else that go along with it that might impact um, our health, our ability for people to um, have the funds available to access health care, let alone, you know, some of the issues where health care crisis can try you know, put people at risk of homelessness because it, because they're so housing burdened. Um, but that was a common thread throughout that everybody was was concerned about housing as a force of change that could impact our community health system. Uh, and, and it was interesting that, you know, here we are talking about healthcare and housing to the driver. Yesterday, we were talking about the economy. Housing was a driver, you know, seeing it kind of seen a common theme. How many times we talked about housing on the Bose Nose show? You know, so it's really, um, a very common issue now and getting to be very top of mind all across you know whether you're uh, you know a lot of the people in the room today were uh, providers of of health care or people involved in the healthcare industry or they were nonprofit uh, providers of services in the county and they're all thinking about housing 
you know, yesterday it was the Board of Commissioners. We we're all asking about housing as it relates to economic development, the economy, and jobs. Um, you know, so it just over and over again keeps coming up. So, you know, you understand why as you look at Lane County's strategic plan that we developed and, and, a, and just recently approved a new three-year strategic plan, that strategy 1A is increase the housing supply. <laughs> and so why I constantly talk about looking for ways we can do that and, and trying to turn the dials, so to speak, uh, that we have available to us as local governments to increase housing supply. And what are some of the barriers to that? Because as we got down towards the end of our exercise this morning, we did a uh, threats and opportunities in, in a couple key areas that were identified as major drivers, major forces of change, housing being one of them. And as you looked at some of the people that, you know, things that are threats, they talked about, um, you know, land use regulations, lack of, you know, the lack, driving lack of supply. Uh, they looked at potential um, cost drivers like new construction excise taxes, increases in system development charges, uh, building permit fees, uh, new building regulations and all that that would drive up the cost of constructing a house to things like NIMBYism, where, you know, we make an attempt to try and um, build more housing, particularly entry-level housing that's lower in cost. And next thing you know, everybody that's in the neighborhood near that lower cost housing is up in arms because they're concerned that that entry level housing is going to drive down their property values, you know, or bring crime or whatever it is, you know, additional traffic, whatever it is that they want to throw out against the wall because they really just don't want change in their neighborhood. They want any new development to be just like what they have uh, so that it, there, there isn't really any change. And, and one of the ways to get around this housing shortage is we got to come up with some pretty innovative housing types to kind of, you know, add as much supply uh, and a diverse amount of supply. So we see things where there's been a piece of property uh, in the River Road neighborhood that's zoned for apartments that's been zoned that way for years now. About 15 years ago or so, it was rezoned, uh, maybe even as much as 20. And now um, the current owner is selling it to a, the current owner is a, a nonprofit agency, selling it to a um, for-profit developer. And the for-profit developer is going to move ahead with the development and, and pretty quickly because, you know, private entities don't hang on to land necessarily. Uh, they want to get in, uh, build their development, and get their return on investment going. And, of course, the neighborhood's all up in arms about the sale of that piece of property because the private developer is going to build apartments on it like it's zoned for and has been for a long time. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're just um, getting all sorts of pushback from the, the surrounding neighborhood uh, because they're going to move ahead with the project. So, you know, Everybody was happy with it as long as it stayed an undeveloped field that they kind of treated as a neighborhood park. Um, and now it's, you know, which is un, which is funny because this neighborhood sits on the greenway of, of the Willamette River. So they've got a huge park 
running behind this neighborhood that will never be developed as part of the Greenway Park system. But they're complaining that this, this one you know, couple acre parcel ought to stay undeveloped because it just it's part of their park system. Yeah. So that nimbyism is such a threat to increasing our housing supply. And it's kind of how do we change those attitudes out there and get people maybe to not be NIMBYs? You know, how do we get people to welcome the development of new housing and welcome the development of housing that may not be just like what they're living in, you know, at this time? You know, because it is an issue for our entire society, this lack of housing supply, because it's causing you know rents to go up uh by incredible amounts for folks that are on fixed incomes it's causing you know the value of housing to go up which means your property taxes go up and a senior that's in a paid off house that property tax may be the biggest bill they pay every year out of their social security income so you know just how do we get around some of those barriers at the same time you know how do we get more supply built you know, what can we do on, on, on the other side? You know, what are our opportunities? One of the things we can do, and one of the things I, you know, have talked about before is, and, and this gets back to Monday and being up at, at AOC and the state side, is we need to get legislation that is more flexible in land use and allows more local control over land use. Um, and maybe moves away from this, you know, where we went back in the uh, 70s and early 80s to the state land use planning, one size fits all goals and control out of the state under you know, the Department of Land Conservation Development, uh, steering regulations statewide um, really doesn't maybe fit what's needed on the coast um, in, in the way of workforce housing to provide workers for the service industry that the tourism industry is now driving the economies of the coast since the natural resource industry has fallen by the wayside with the marble murelet snowy plover and spotted owl um, and and coho salmon and whatever else uh, you know that that are, are restricting some of the natural resource industry there so you know the problem is is one of the places that is left to develop on the coast tends to be in forest lands rather than trying to to, to build now in what we now know is tsunami zones that are in several of these uh, urban growth areas around the existing cities how do you jump out to that that um, resource lands um, under current state land use code there's no consideration of that local issue in the state land use goals and, and, and that's one of the things that I think we need that flexibility and we need to look at how can we kind of work around some of those issues as we as we uh, get into the next legislature rather than looking for things like taxing the housing industry to set up a government program to build government constructed affordable housing under prevailing wages and with the overhead the government has, it's just not a solution. But that's where they seem to be going on this. That's where they went in the, in the last legislative session as they increased the recording fees on documents by a substantial amount to fund a 
uh, housing, low-income housing um, revenue stream that was going to get distributed out in the state. Unfortunately, what it's done is that document recording system is utilized in real estate transactions and and mortgage recordings and everything else. So it just dry, it, it, it's a cost driver for the housing industry and the real estate industry. So it you know they're driving up the cost of housing to try and build low income housing. It's just one of those things I just don't quite get sometimes when the state does things like that. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens next legislative session. As I was, you know, there Monday in Salem thinking about those things. Tuesday, housing comes up around the economy. Wednesday, housing comes up around health care. You know, it just seems to keep popping up in my mind. And I, and I wonder where we're going to go and wonder how much impact it'll have. Uh, to have a little bit more balance in state government if we were to have um, a um, different party take control of the executive branch so that there's a um, balance between the executive branch and the uh, legislative branch and uh, be interesting to see what happens next next year and what's going to happen next November you know it's, it's always it's one of the fascinating parts about being involved in government politics is you know that 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 uh, uncertainty of the future is always there, yet you have to provide um, governance that is in these one-year chunks called budgets, and and uh, you try and do a little bit bigger chunks in strategic plans and capital improvement plans, but really trying to look much more than 12 months out at what's going to be going on is always so difficult. We don't know when that next recession is going to hit. We don't know when something's going to change on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. that's going to impact us. So it's always, you know, you're governing in this constant change. And um, it, it's a fascinating thing to do and be involved with at times and a frustrating thing to be involved with at times. You know, one of the one of the, the issues that came up in this morning's discussion around health care is the whole desire by the state to uh, redesign the coordinated care organization system that they, they just recently kind of put into place not too many years ago. <laughs> so they invented a wheel and now they're ready to reinvent the wheel. Um, and it's kind of like, is it really broke yet? <laughs> but we're dealing with those kind of stressors in the system and you know how that how that's going to play out over the next couple of years. Um, so, and I got a question for you. Sure. In any of those meetings that you attend, have you ever not only just thought about, but actually stood up and said, are you nuts? Uh, actually, I've kind of been known for being a little blunt in meetings sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and and there was, there, there was one meeting where, uh, um, and it was an AOC meeting that, that I, I remember they were looking at possibly supporting legislation that would have allowed local jurisdiction, jurisdictions to enact um, rent control. And, and, and I, you know, as the discussion was going on, I basically 
got recognized by a chair and, and said, are you crazy? <laughs> if you want it, if you want to put a screeching halt to every multifamily construction project across this state, pass this piece of legislation. <laughs> because the uncertainty in the investment you know, side of multifamily housing, the banking systems, the uh, capital you know, providers to that, that housing type, they're going to go, you, at any time, some locality can pass rent control on me in the future, and I won't be able to raise rents to keep up with the cost of and maintain my return on investment over time against, you know, against inflation of cost. I, which means I have no certainty of my return on investment. Whoop, stop the project now. I don't <laughs> care if we've invested a few dollars in engineering or we bought the land. Stop, you know? Yeah. <laughs> See if we can dump this thing, you know? It was like, are, are you insane? You know, how could you even talk about this, you know, with any, you know, thoughts? And it's like, yeah, but there's such, we have to do something, you know, it's a do something disease. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you know. And at that time, it was a couple of commissioners from Multnomah County that were pushing, supporting that. At the time, it was called House Bill 2004 and, and 2017, that had this ability to allow for, because there is a state prohibition on rent control laws right now. A local government cannot pass a rent control law. Um, it's one of the things that's preempted by state government which is something state government's allowed to do because municipalities and counties are subdivisions of state government. And the state can basically say, we're taking uh, preemptive control over this particular aspect of governing, um, which they've done in several areas, like uh, everything from herbicide application uh, regulations to uh, and farming regulations to rent control uh, to uh, sick leave. You know, they preempted local government sick leave legislation. So, um, but it was just, I, I was amazed that there were people there that, you know, are, a lot of them are, are business people. You know, county commissioners usually are folks that um, have a fair amount of uh, background to get elected as a county commissioner. It's not necessarily... Um, entry-level position into the elected office um, at times uh, it, you know there are people that never have been elected to an office that get to become county commissioner but to successfully run because of the level of responsibility on a board of commissioners where you have both executive and legislative authorities um, is pretty high impact so it tends to be pretty experienced people so as you look around a room full of county commissioners and they were actually thinking about supporting this was completely on emotional side of we have to do something when it comes to the housing crisis we have to do something and they're ready to support legislation that would have actually exacerbated the problem in in a very quick hurry without any real thought so yes i did stand up in the meeting then and said are you crazy do you know anything about economics and, and, and what investors want in, in the way of certainty in, in a regulatory environment? You know, one, of the, one of the reasons, if you study the, the, the Great Depression of the 30s, 
one of the reasons it went on so long in the U.S. versus other countries and recovery took so long in the U.S. was the Roosevelt administration, who a lot of people credit for saving us from, we actually extended it. Because if you study what actually happened, kept changing economic policies almost month to month as people and groups of people came in and out of favor with Franklin Roosevelt and his administration and policies were swinging wildly. And the uncertainty in economic regulation and policies kept driving, you know, the lack of investment, you know, from from the capital um, side of, of the marketplace. And it was just in if you want to read a really great book, um, I think uh, it's called The Forgotten Man by Amity 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 Amity. Yeah, Am- Amity Scales, I think, is her name that wrote it. Um, and uh, it's about, and the forgotten man's a principle in economics, um, in in how people make mistakes in economic planning because they forget about something. Um, but that's that's a whole long story. Great book on the actual um, looking at how some of the drivers behind why the depression happened and why it was so extensive particularly around the 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 uh the hoover administration the roosevelt administration and some of the things that happened that drove it and some of the things that extended it so that uncertainty and here here was this group of fairly experienced folks in governing and they were ready to jump into that do something reactive thing that would have driven that uncertainty um you know you know scale you know pegged it basically for the the capital market and really would have killed multifamily housing projects in this state but don't you know that everything can be fixed by passing a law like let me read you this one this one actually exists aircraft known as flying saucer or flying cigar which should land on the territory of the community shall be immediately held in custody (laughs) this is an actual law (laughs) oh my gosh that's uh, that's funny Uh, yeah there are some strange laws that are still on the books that are remnants from way back when yeah, you know, there's still laws about spitting on sidewalks and um, not tipping your hat to ladies or whatever else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it, and that gets around to you know the remnant laws that were in a lot of deed restrictions, where um, property in Oregon quite often held deed restrictions um, and covenants that said you could not transfer that property to a non-white person. Um, you know that which has been ruled to be uh, void now as, as unconstitutional, so they have no force and effect, but they're still sitting in a lot of um, deeds, historic deeds. Um, uh, if, if you do a title search on a piece of property and get back into the older deeds where they weren't struck out yet. Um, so, you know, there's, there, were, there were things that were put in place that are remnants and, uh, you know, sometimes it's interesting that how um, archaic some of them are, like flying saucers, and just how um, historically uh, prejudiced and unconstitutional some of them were, like the uh, restrictions on transfer 
of properties um, that, that were, and it's not just Oregon that had those. I saw similar covenants and restrictions uh, as I did deed research in Maryland and Virginia and Delaware and Pennsylvania when I was on the East Coast. Um, so don't think it's just Oregon. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, in the last four minutes, by the way, by the way, we still got time. Six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. You can always comment by sending us an email. Talk at krbnradio.net, Facebook, and five fifteen other places. So you can always contact Jay. And uh, Jay, you got anything coming up in the uh, in the near future? Um. Well, we do. You know, I'm heading out to this uh, feast on the farm of the Lane County. Um, families for farms and forests you know so it's always kind of fun to be out there with people that actually work the land um, and are out in the forest um, so I, I'm kind of looking forward to that this evening but probably going to end up talking a lot of ag policy uh, we've talked about the uh, uh, farm to table issues and farm stand issues as the uh, land use laws did not anticipate some of the changes in direct sales to uh, like uh, agrarian ales and Camas Country Bakery that might come up tonight. Um, Going to be heading down to Florence first thing in the morning as they have a grand opening of the Goodwill facility down there. You know, woo! <laughs> and uh, got a Lane uh, Regional Air Protection Agency board meeting tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, so there's all sorts of things coming up um, over over the month. Uh, Next Monday is the Human Services Commission, so I'll be thinking about everything from uh, uh, energy assistance and um, other poverty programs we have to housing is a big issue in that committee. Um, and we're back to the Board of Commissioners next week and uh, you know, our usual plethora of issues that runs the gamut from you know, public safety to housing to the economy uh to union negotiations and then i i get to do something next wednesday which actually might make me late coming back from the show so i'm going to have to try and figure out what our schedule is i think i'm going to get back in time but i'm going down to riddle next wednesday the big town of riddle to dr johnson lumber company to look at their uh system for building cross laminated timber panels which is newer technology in using um, what they call mass timber. Uh, and it's kind of like building plywood out of two by fours, if you can imagine that. Think about you know, a bunch of two by fours, you know, all aligned in one direction, kind of like you align a, a, a piece of veneer with all the grain headed in one direction, overlap the veneer in the other direction, and there you go. Um, do that with two by fours and press them together and you got a pretty massive piece of plywood that is a structural element they can use in buildings in pretty fascinating ways. Going to go down there and get to look at that because I think that might be a future uh, for the Oregon economy and also a future building material that not only sequesters carbon, but has more earthquake resistance in some ways and also has longer strength um, capabilities during a fire, believe it or not, even though it's a flammable material. Uh, than steel and concrete. So really interesting trip next week. Do we have a call there we want to jump to real quick? Looks like somebody's calling in late in the program. I'm going to try and catch him before we go. All righty. Caller, you are on the air with Jay Bozovich. Hi, 
This is Sherry from Florence. Uh, we're real excited that you're coming to Florence for the grand opening of the Goodwill and want to make sure you remember to stop by Patriot Place because there's a big birthday party going on. Have some free cake. Yeah, that's one of the it. things I'm doing late, late tomorrow, it's Flag Day. And that's kind of why you yep. guys are having a little birthday party because somebody else's birthday is on Flag Day. Might yeah, it is. And we has... celebrate. Yeah, go ahead. You're celebrating it, his birthday. You're celebrating the president's birthday down there at Patriot Place tomorrow. We are, but it's Flag Day also, and that's of course the most important part. But come, come, enjoy some some cake and some celebration. Sounds good because I, I get I have to be in Junction City late in the afternoon because I'm going to help them take oh. down their flags. The Lions, oh. my the Junction City Lions Club that I'm now a member of. Uh, does puts up and takes down the flags in Junction City. So um, I get to go. I don't get to put them up because I have to be in Florence for the Goodwill thing. I do plan on stopping by uh, Patriot Place because I think you guys have some signs for me. <laughs> and you betcha. and, uh, and uh, so I might see you tomorrow morning after the Goodwill opening. So it's a good Excellent. reminder for folks Thank to stop you. by Patriot Excellent. Place in Florence tomorrow. Thank you for calling, Sherry. Thank you. And bring back some. <laughs> bring bring back some cake for you, Robin. <laughs> well, we're just about out of time here on the Bose Nose Show. Thank you for listening. I'll have to look at my travel times tomorrow uh, and try and plan for next week. We may end up having to delay the show a little bit next week. Uh, we'll put that out on Facebook and on the internet about the show time if it does get adjusted. If not, we'll talk to you next week at four o'clock on Wednesdays, as always, for the Bose Nose Show. Have a great week and thank you for listening.